morning. Welcome to Oak Ridge Community Church. My name is Dave Ferguson. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad you could join us. If you're a visitor joining us for the first time or someone that's been visiting a few times, we're very happy that you're here. We're very happy that you're able to join with us in our church family. Uh, we're in the midst of a Genesis series right now, and we are going through the book of Genesis. And our goal is to paint with broad strokes and highlight some of the major themes in the book of Genesis. We spinning, this series will last until Easter. One of the themes that we're highlighting as we go through this is what we call the upper story and the lower story. So what is the upper story? We've mentioned it several times. I think it's good for reinforcement. The upper story is God's perspective on life, on, on the universe, on what he's written in his word. It's his glory, his plan, and his provision throughout history. The lower story is my perspective. It's your perspective. It's the perspective of the characters that we're reading about, the people, the men and women in Scripture. Our everyday lives, we're looking for meaning, we're struggling, we're succeeding, we're failing sometimes. Sometimes we sense God's presence very close to us. Sometimes He feels very far away from us. Sometimes we feel we are separated from Him. This upper story, this lower story is all through Scripture. It's all through Scripture. As you're reading, I, I encourage you, in fact, to read along with us. In the ACE, you'll see the Genesis reading plan. You can see the Scriptures that we're going to be covering from week to week. You can read ahead and keep up with what's going on. Prepare your heart. As you read, specifically look, what is God's perspective here on, what, on what's happening here? What is my perspective on what's happening here? What's the perspective of the characters? You should train yourself. You should look at Scripture like this wherever you read. It's a good exercise. If you check out the link in the ACE, the ACE's all-church email comes out once a week. Um, it's full of tons of, tons of great information about what's going on in the church, what's happening in our church family, activities that are coming uh, that are ahead. If you don't get it and you'd like to be subscribed to it, check at the stop by the welcome table, and they will sign you up. Um, last week, our, we, we reviewed the, the story of Adam and Eve and their fall from innocence. They sinned. The lower story there was Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God and the consequences of sin that that had in their own lives and their relationship with one another and the ripple effect that sin started having in God's creation. The upper story in that was God's his, his goodness, his creativity, his justice, his provision from the very beginning from the very outset of the curse of sin, God had a plan and his ability to meet the need, the deep need that Adam and Eve incurred. Today, we're going to be talking about Genesis chapter 6 through 9, which is the story of Noah. Maybe it's very familiar to you. This is a story about sin, judgment, salvation, provision, and then failure again. The lower story is, is about the presence of sin in our lives, our daily struggle with sin and how it afflicts us throughout our lives. The upper story is God's holiness, his goodness, his justice, his rejection of sin, and again, his provision 
to meet us at our very need. Since the theme here, in the early chapters of Genesis, God is in control. He's good. He's holy. He's just. He's just. We have a choice to make in terms of how we live before him. And when we make the wrong choices, he has a plan and a provision to care for us. Let's read. Feel free to turn with me or follow along. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. This is from the New All these scriptures will be from the New Living Translation. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he'd ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. This passage is a a description of God's perspective, the upper story. From God's perspective, what he saw when he looked down on the earth, generations after Adam and Eve had sinned, he saw that man was totally evil. It broke his heart. It filled him with regret. And he resolved to judge sin. You know, we have a reminder that God is holy and just and good being. He is also an emotional being. We often say that we're created in God's image. We are. We are created in God's image. We are emotional beings because God is an emotional being. You know, we are outraged by injustice. Do you ever stop to think, where does that sense of outrage and injustice come from? Is it from you? Is it from the heart of Dave Ferguson? Because Dave Ferguson knows what's right and wrong innately, and he's able to judge what's right and wrong. No. It's not from you either. We have this sense of justice, of injustice. Sometimes it raises to the point of outrage against sin, poverty, murder, hatred, bigotry. These things provoke a response within us. This is only an echo of the response, of God's response towards sin. Let that sink in the next time you feel outraged at the world around you or some personal insult around you. This is not something that you've come up with. This is a reflection of God's image inside of you. But it's not just a sense of outrage. God is a being. He's a complete being. We're complete beings. What else is there here? It broke his heart. There's sadness. There's regret. And there's a resolution to judge that which is evil. He's sad at seeing the amazing, perfect creation that he created corrupted. Can we relate to this? Does it seem distant, seem harsh? Well, I mean, maybe the only thing that we can relate to is in our own personal trials, our own personal pain, our relational pain with one another. When someone hurts you or you're separated from someone because of some relational pain, do you ever feel like, 
no one understands me. No one cares. Why do I even bother? I feel that way sometimes when I'm angry or offended, rightly or wrongly. That is, I think, an analogy of how God rejects sin as well. It gives us only a taste of God's response to the corruption of his good and perfect creation. Let's keep reading. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with all the earth. When everything was ready, God instructed Noah to build an ark. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with all your family. For all the people of the earth, for among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. When Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, the underground waters erupted from the earth and all the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. God wiped out every living thing on the earth. People, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky, all were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him on the boat. Facts of the flood. There was a warning of judgment and a provision for Noah. You know what I found interesting about this warning? Who'd the warning go to? The the warning went to Noah. The warning didn't go to the world around him. And I'm reminded of our responsibility as those who love God, those who follow God, those who trust Jesus Christ. We understand God's truth. We understand his character, his goodness, his love, and his justice. We have a responsibility. The warning comes to Noah. In a similar case, we, the warning comes to us too. That the world around us has a tremendous need. We have a responsibility. He didn't warn the world, but he did warn Noah. And then he made a provision for Noah because he said Noah was righteous. And then there was the flood, worldwide devastation. In other words, God really did it. God really judged sin. His heart was distressed. He was angry. He has the authority. He has the power. And he made it happen. He judged sin and wiped out every living creature on the earth except for Noah and his family and the animals that were on the ark. It's a sobering thing to think about. And it's appropriate for us to think about God's love for us. It's appropriate for us to think about his provision for us. It is awesome for us to know about the salvation that's offered to us through Jesus Christ. But it's also appropriate for us to be in just sober reflection on the fact that God judged sin. He judged sin on the earth through a flood in Noah's time, and there's another judgment coming as well. That ought to be a sobering thing for us, 
It ought to cause us to slow down, bow our hearts before him. It ought to cause us to examine our hearts before the Lord. Do we know him? Do we trust him? Are we taking sin for granted in our own lives? Are we taking the effect of sin for granted in the lives of the people around us? Are we taking sin for granted in the world around us? Not that we can stop you know, changes in society. Not that we can change the person next to us. We can't even change ourselves. Some, most sometimes, I understand this. The point of it is, is that we pause and understand that God really did it. He really caused a flood. He really wiped out the earth. Indulge me as I make a heavy-handed illustration of the power of destructed waters. Sin has many different consequences in our life. It has physical consequences. When we sin against each other, sometimes it's violence. Sometimes we physically hurt somebody. Sometimes we physically hurt ourselves. Sometimes we physically hurt our neighbors. Sometimes we hurt the environment around us, our society around us. We cause actual damage. And this flood is an example. It's a, I think it's a symbol. It's a picture of the damage that sin does to the world. There are emotional consequences to our sin. If I am cruel and hateful towards the people around me, they suffer. Hmm. I remember when I was, uh, many years ago, I was, I'd, I'd lost my temper with one of my kids and I just yelled at them. And uh, they just stood there in front of me and they were, they just kept quiet and their, I could see their eyes start to water and their lips were trembling and I knew I'd crossed the line. And I could see, thankfully God gave me the grace to see, David, you just crossed the line and you need to repent. You need to apologize. You need to make that right. And by God's grace, I was able to make that right in that circumstance. But it's an image in my mind of what I can do, the power I have to hurt people emotionally. We may think of many different examples. That's a minor example. There are so many more devastating examples around us. Things that you have done. Things that have been done to you. This is real. But something else is real. And the most important aspect that we need to understand about sin is sin kills us spiritually. Paul said the wages of sin is death. Not just being buried six feet under. It means we are dead spiritually. We are separated from God. This is what had propagated through the entire world up to the time of Noah. No one followed God except Noah. Let's keep reading. Noah was now 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, the floodwaters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted, up, lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. 
Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. When he left the ark, Noah built an altar to the Lord and made a sacrifice. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice, and he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. Interesting, promising, hopeful, except for one sobering note here. It says that everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. That's present tense. God says, even after the flood, even after the ark, man's heart is still evil. So, God brought, Noah built the ark. God brought Noah and his wife safely on the ark. He brought Noah's sons and their wives safely on the ark. He brought the animals safely on the ark. But something else came on the ark with them. Something else came on the ark with them. What was it? That something else was sin. And this is our in sin nature. Ah, after all our hard work, after all of our good intentions, after all of our victories, we still struggle. We still have trouble. We still have consequences for sin. Sin came on the ark with Noah. He provides a way. There's a realization that sin was still a problem. So the question that we have to ask, the question that screams out to me as I read this passage is, is there hope? Is there hope? After all that, after all that Noah had done, 120 years of building an ark, a year cooped up in the ark, is there hope? And yes, by God's grace, there is hope. One of the symbols of the hope that God promised him was, he said, I placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. He promised not to destroy the world by water again. The rainbow is a symbol of hope and forgiveness in the wake of the most destructive of our sins and the sins of the world. Before I continue on this, I'd like to make a brief aside. Rainbows are awesome. I love rainbows. Another favorite thing for my, for my kids were little is faces plastered up against the window looking at a rainstorm, marveling at, marveling at a rainbow. Rainbows are awesome. But I'd like to make an observation that in the last couple of decades, our society has come up with an image of the rainbow that is not necessarily a symbol of God's covenant of love and hope for us. Rather, our culture has twisted the image of a rainbow into a symbol that promises something that it cannot deliver. 
promises something it cannot deliver. On the symbol, on the surface, the symbol seems to be promising freedom from judgment, freedom from guilt. Actually, what it is promoting is rebellion against God in His design for marriage and for sex. Maybe you're listening to me and there's this rising sense of anger in your heart as you hear what I'm saying. If that's the case, then I'd like to ask you, I'd like to appeal to you, I'd like to ask you, slow down. Listen to me. Come and talk to me. I acknowledge that the burden is on me, David Ferguson, to show love, compassion, respect, and care for every single person that enters my life, every single person that the Lord brings into my life. I acknowledge this. I am willing to do this personally. But if we, if any of us interpret judgment against homosexuality as a statement of bigotry, then what we're doing is we're substituting the ethics of our culture, the spirit of our age, for the morality of God. We are, in effect, judging God. And that's never a good thing to do. So, tough topic, right? Many of us have family friends and co-workers who are impacted by the topic of homosexuality. Maybe instead of anger at what I'm saying, you have this rising sense of despair or hopelessness. There's many people that have struggled with feelings of same-sex attraction. And you think, is there hope? Am I cursed? Am I doomed? Am I just going to struggle for the rest of my life? I want to say to you, there is hope. There is encouragement. There is love. There is compassion and support in my heart and in the lives of this church family. Find, don't be quiet. Don't suffer by yourself. Find someone you trust and talk about it. You will find love, not judgment. I want to be clear to you, if you are homosexual in thought or action, you are welcome in my life, in the life of this church family. We will care for you. We will love you. We will respect you. We love you, and we want you to know that God has something better for you in your life. As a Jesus follower, I always have to ask, what would Jesus do? How would he react to someone when he, the New Testament is filled with examples of him interacting with people who were, he's a friend of sinners, right? I have a responsibility that my heart and my life is characterized by love, compassion, and grace. Saints, as Jesus followers, you have the responsibility to do two things. 
accurately reflect God's truth to a needy world. And to be willing to sacrifice and suffer as you reflect that truth. Can you hold firm to what's true and share it in a loving and gracious manner with the people around you? Maybe that's a hard assignment. Maybe you'll fail the first 15 times you try. My exhortation to myself and to you, you, we have got to learn how to do that. Not only with people who are struggling with homosexuality, there's so many other sins in this world, right? We have got to be able to represent God's truth. We have got to be the best lovers of those who, who are struggling with sin. So, God said, I place my rainbow on the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. The rainbow is a symbol of God's covenant with mankind. It's a symbol of hope and forgiveness and God's provision in the wake of the most destructive of our sins. You know, as I said before, we still have a problem. After the flood, after the ark, after the rainbow, we still have a problem. Something else came on that ark. Genesis 9, chapter... Chapter 9, verses 22, 20 through 22. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground. He planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he'd made and became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked, went outside and told his brother. So this is the part of the Noah story that doesn't make it into the VBS yet, right? There's no crafts about this one. But it's a part of the story. And part of my point is that after the ark, after the flood, after the rainbow, after God's promises to Noah, Noah's still a flawed man. The world is still a flawed world. After this comes the Tower of Babel, which we're going to be hearing about next week. There is still the presence of sin. What this shows is the utter depth of our need. Our hearts are still evil. Noah and his sons were still flawed. We still struggle ourselves, and so we have to ask, is there hope? And the hope is, is only ever been in the cross of Jesus Christ. The flood expressed God's judgment, but the cross satisfied God's wrath. The rainbow offers hope and a picture of God's heart to take care of us, but Jesus' resurrection restores life. The ark and the flood and the rainbow were three things in sequence that showed God's character and his provision for us. Three different things, but the cross is one Thing. It's the new covenant. It's life from death. It's a change of nature. One thing Noah didn't have, he didn't have a changed nature. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust him for the salvation he offers freely through the cross, our sins are wiped out. We may still experience sin, but now 
as those who trust Jesus Christ, we have a resource we did not have before, namely the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, instructs us, reminds us of his word and his presence. This is a resource that Noah did not have. This is the only hope for you, for me, and for a needy world. The flood, the ark, the the rainbow, they pointed forward in time to the new covenant, the power and amazing provision that God provided through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. So we have an upper story and a lower story here. The upper story is, again, God's perspective, his holiness, his goodness, his provision, his grief, and his goodness and provision at the same time. Can you acknowledge that? The lower story is the devastation that sin caused in Noah's day. The devastation that sin causes in our own life. And of course, the practical thing that we always should ask ourselves when we look at an upper story and a lower story is what's your story? And what will you personally do? Will you learn to bow your heart before a holy God and say to him, yes, God, you are good and you are just. You have the sovereignty and authority to judge sin in my life and the life of the world around us. And thank you that you're so gracious to provide us a path forward in the midst of our struggles and failures. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. The second Adam who obeyed the Father, who satisfied the wrath of God, who offers salvation to each one of us as a free gift and offers us the gift of the Holy Spirit to provide us a resource to overcome the power of sin in our life. I encourage you, if you have not known Jesus Christ, if you've not trusted him, bow your heart before him. We're going to pray here to close in a few moments. If this is something that you want to know or do, you call out to God, ask him, say, Lord, I have sinned against you. I need you. I want, I recognize the power of sin in my life and the lives around me. I want peace. I want provision. I want rescue. I want forgiveness. Then after you've done that, come talk to somebody. Talk to me, any of the other folks in this church, someone you came with, they know you, they love you, they will listen to you. But it's something that has to happen between you and God. If you are a Jesus follower, a Jesus lover, let the sober realization that God will judge sin spur you on to love those around you more fervently and more effectively. Thank him again for the salvation that he's given to you. Thank him for what he's rescued you from in your life up to this time. Cast yourself on him If you still have areas that you're struggling with and you need help, trust the Holy Spirit to lift you up. Rely on your brothers and sisters in Christ to help support the load that you may bear by yourself.
Let's pray. God, you are holy. You are awesome. You are mighty. You are just. You are emotional. You are grieved by sin. You punish sin. And I can only bow my heart before you acknowledge you have the right and authority to do so. And yet, God, I cry out for mercy for myself, for my weakness, for my struggles, for the damage in my own heart. God, please, please cleanse me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was the perfect sacrifice that satisfied your wrath. Thank you that his resurrection is your power of life over death. Lord, we commit our hearts to you. Give us grace to go into a needy world and love them with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.